Galatians 4, 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son to our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Yeah, we can clap for that. It's God's word. Come on. And he's cute. Uh, welcome. Uh, welcome to the Sunday gathering of Christ Community Chapel. Those of you here in the West Service over in East Hall tuning in online, thanks for being here. Uh, my name is Ken. I'm one of the pastors, and it's my privilege to be spending time in God's word with you this morning. Uh, it is adoption weekend here at Christ Community Chapel which is very exciting. It's more like uh, adoption month because we have all of these events, one today and a couple in the weeks to follow. You'll hear more about those later on in service. But because it's adoption weekend, we're taking a break from our James series. We'll get back to it uh, next week, which is great because I've loved going through the James series. I'm going through the From Hearing to Doing workbook with my circle, and that's been great by great I mean that it's just ripped my guts out. If you're laughing, maybe you know what I mean. This is what the Bible says. This is how I'm botching it. This is how Jesus did it perfectly. This is how we pray. This is how we hold one another accountable and entrust Jesus to live out our faith in practical ways. But today, today we're going to spend some time in the passage you just heard read, Galatians 4, 1 through 7. We're gonna be seeing what the Bible has to say about identity and hopefully seeing how it ties into adoption. So to guide our time together, three points, of course, three points. Number one, two ways that we get identity wrong. Number two, the one way we get identity right. And then number three, what the right kind of identity looks like. Two ways we get it wrong, the one way we get it right, and what the right kind of identity looks like. We're gonna dive into that first point here in a moment, but because we're jumping into the middle of Paul's letter, I wanna give you a little bit of context. So let's zoom out very briefly. Paul writes this letter to the church at Galatia in large part to answer this question. What do you say to a church who has forgotten who it is? What do you say to a church who has forgotten its identity? And Paul gets right to the point. He doesn't spend a lot of time on flowery encouragement. There's not a very long opening. He just gets right to it. In chapter one, verse six, this is what he writes. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Well, hello, Paul. A few verses later, he speaks of a contrary gospel. And then, in what might be my favorite verse in all of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 1, he writes this, O foolish Galatians, 
Who has bewitched you? I had a seminary professor that said the best way to interpret that language is to say, my dear idiots. <laughs> my dear idiots, who has bewitched you? So what's going on? What has Paul so concerned? What is this contrary gospel? Well, here it is. There is a group likely within this local church that is seeking to impose requirements of Jewish law on Christians in addition to the salvific work of Jesus. They're making an argument that you are finished by means of the flesh. It's like Jesus plus Jewish law. And Paul spends a good portion of this letter presenting an argument against that contrary gospel. So with that, let's zoom in on our passage today, which puts us right in the middle of this argument. In Galatians chapter four, verses one through seven, Paul is showing us that we can get identity wrong in two ways, okay? The two ways that we can get identity wrong. I'm gonna call them Jesus or and Jesus and, okay? Jesus or, Jesus and. Let's start with Jesus or. Now this kind of wrong identity isn't the primary focus of Paul's uh, teaching here, but it is important, I don't want us to miss it. In chapter four, verse three, this is what he writes. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In verses eight and verse nine, he speaks again of being enslaved in the time when you did not know God. So what are these elementary principles that Paul is speaking of? Well, he's, he's speaking of the things that formerly enslaved this church when they didn't know God, before they came to know God. Paul is acknowledging a reality for this church that is a reality for each of us that knows Jesus. There was a time in our lives when we didn't know Jesus and we hoped in, trusted in, were enslaved by something else. It wasn't Jesus, it was something else, a Jesus or kind of identity. Paul speaks to this in chapter one of his own experience of his Jesus or identity. But again, it's true for all of us. And Paul is reminding us that that or whatever it is, whatever it is, it cannot save us. It is weak and worthless. Those are his words. I had the privilege of speaking at the Faith and Work Summit yesterday, not as a pastor, but as an attorney. Prior to coming into full-time ministry, I practiced law for 10 years. And I can tell you, in, in my decade of practice, from summer associate to partner, meeting countless people, super bright, super accomplished, all the way, all the way up to the very upper echelons of my law firm, the very apex of their career, apex of an industry. I can tell you in 10 years, I never once, not a single time, heard someone say, I've made it, I'm good. Not once. Because there's always one more rung on the ladder, always one more project to take on, one more, one more, one more. It's not just career. It could be career, ambition, relationship, marriage, kids, whatever it is. It, it doesn't satisfy you. Putting your hope in, your trust in something other than Jesus, weak and worthless. 
Maybe you're here and you're living out a Jesus or identity right now. Let me ask you this, in love, I mean this in love, how's that working out for you? And if it's going really well right now, is it always going to be? Will it never age or change or fade? The reality is that Jesus or, if you're a Christian, you know this, Jesus or is a wrong kind of identity. It's a dead end. It is, again, weak and worthless. But it's not the only way that we can get identity wrong. That's Jesus or. Let's talk about Jesus and Look with me at verses one and two. Paul is speaking in chapter four, verses one and two, he's speaking of guardians and managers and heirs. And what is he talking about? Guardians and managers, what's he getting at? Well, here's what what he's saying. He's saying that the, the rituals and these ceremonial practices of the law, they acted as a kind of guardian or caretaker. But, and this is really important, they weren't meant to be permanent. And they weren't freeing at all. In fact, they were enslaving. Back in chapter 3, in verse 23, Paul makes this very clear. He says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Paul is imploring this church to stop living under the enslavement of rituals that just no longer apply. Because Paul sees a church that has drifted. They've drifted, they've taken some other stuff that isn't Jesus and they've grafted it on to form what I'll call a salvation combo platter. It's a high theological term, a salvation combo platter. It's become Jesus and And so Paul will ask rhetorically, are are these rituals perfecting you? In chapter five, he says to paraphrase, whether you're circumcised or you're not circumcised doesn't matter at all. What is Paul saying? He's saying, drop the and. Drop the and. So here we are, Northeast Ohio, 2022. What do we do with this? Not as though being circumcised or uncircumcised is really a dividing line. But, but make no mistake, make no mistake, Jesus and kind of identities are alive and well in the here and now. How about this? Jesus and doing the right sort of things so that God will love me. He'll accept me. Jesus and checking the boxes so I incur favor and status with people around me. It doesn't stop there. There are so many ands. There are so many things we can add on, political, ideological, social. We are two weeks or so away from midterm elections. And it feels like everything is at a fever pitch. And so in one church, it might be Jesus and the letter R next to your name. In another church, it might be Jesus and the letter D next to your name. Or let's invert that. How many of you have heard this? You can't be a Christian and a Democrat. You can't be a Christian and a Republican. You know what that is? 
just inverting it. What they're really saying is it's Jesus and. Jesus and. I could go on and on because the list goes on and on. I'm not talking about disagreement between Christians. Of course, we can disagree. I'm talking about fault lines where we stand on one side of something and we say it's Jesus and this thing as though that is what saves you. Salvation combo platters. And it's not just that church or those people. It is us. It is me. In preparing this message, I was forced to consider, and I didn't love it, I was forced to consider what are my, what are my Jesus and qualifiers? What am I adding on? What are you adding on? Paul is imploring the church to turn away from the wrong kind of identity. We're no longer Jesus or kind of people, but neither should we be living as Jesus and kind of people either. They're both wrong. So if those are the ways that we can get identity wrong, how can we get it right? And that leads to my second point. Turn with me to chapter four, verses four and five in what is an amazing, beautiful, and concise summation of the gospel. This is what Paul writes, verses four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Fully God, fully man. That's that born of woman language sent forth by God the Father at a time preordained, foreknown by God, this amazing pre-existing plan that God had, Jesus born under the law, the same law that enslaved us, that held us captive, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. That is who we are. We are adopted sons and daughters of God the Father, bought with the precious blood of Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's our identity, full stop. I have a personal connection to adoption. My wife, Jamie, and I have adopted all three of our girls. I think we have a photo, do we have a photo? Oh, don't be fooled. Yeah, they are terrors, I love them. They are terrors. Our adoption journey has taught me a lot of things. When I think about what it means to pursue adoption, when I think about what it means to be adopted, four things come to mind. To be adopted means that you're welcomed, you're wanted, you're sought out, and you are fought for. In our adoption journey, chasing these beautiful girls, that's absolutely true. They are welcomed, they are wanted, we sought them out and we fought for them. And if that's true of my love for those girls, imperfect, flawed love for those girls, how much more true is it of God the Father? My love pales in comparison to his love for them, for you, for me. 
in Christ, you are welcomed, you are wanted, you were sought out and you were fought for. What was the cost? Jesus, Jesus was the cost. We are adopted sons and daughters at the cost of God's own son. The gospel isn't less than Jesus, no room for Jesus, or it's not more than Jesus, no room for Jesus, and it's simply Jesus, Jesus who lived in our place and died in our place, and in his resurrection shows us that the invitation to join God the Father's family is true and it's unshakable. And lest we forget, it's not our work, verse seven, we are heirs through God. His work, not ours. Never ours. We don't deserve it, could never earn it, but it's ours nonetheless. So how do we get identity right? Well, we go back to the basics. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And in Jesus, because of Jesus, adopted sons and daughters. Church, I believe that if we really and truly lived out this kind of identity, day in and day out, it would change everything, everything. In this passage, there are a few things that I'd like us to see, because it would change everything, but a few things in particular that I think this passage calls us to, which leads to my third point. What does the right kind of identity look like? What does it look like? Well, number one, the right kind of identity will shape how we relate to God. Look with me at verse six. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The use of the term Abba is significant. It's incredibly rare in the New Testament. It's used, Paul uses it in Romans 8. It comes up again in Mark 14 when Jesus is praying to God the Father in the garden. It's a term that denotes a child-father relationship, intimacy, and, and affection. So why is Abba used here? It's a reminder that we are invited to petition our Heavenly Father intimately. We can go right to him personally, just as Jesus did. I think we can all agree that a child should never, ever be afraid of approaching their parents. My dad, he left when I was pretty young, but when he was around, it wasn't great. And I can remember when he was still around, when I wanted to play with a toy or I wanted to go outside, whatever it was, I was terrified to ask him. So I'd go to my mom, I'd go into her ear and I'd, I'd whisper my request. Because I was afraid that if I asked my dad, he would shame me, he would embarrass me, he would insult me. Church, that's not who our Heavenly Father is. He's not that. I can, you can approach our Heavenly Father without fear because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you're welcomed, you're wanted. Let me ask you, do you talk to God like that? Have you forgotten you can talk to God like that? The right kind of identity will shape how we relate to God, our Father, but it will also shape the way that we see other Christians. 
we should all be asking ourselves, do we allow our Jesus and tendencies to sour our relationships with other Christians? Are we adding to the finished work of, of Christ some way, somehow, maybe in our politics, maybe somewhere else? If so, the call of Scripture is to stop it. Stop it. If we're sons and daughters, that makes us brothers and sisters. We're a family. We're a family. In the verses preceding our passage today, Paul writes this. This is chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. And here I would say there is no Republican. There is no Democrat. There is no liberal. There is no conservative. There is no rich. There is no poor. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If we live in the right kind of identity, it will, yes, shape how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. And then finally, it will shape how we engage the world around us. I think we need to ask ourselves a couple of tough questions. How do we engage Jesus or people? The people that we once were, by the way. How do we engage them? Are they enemy combatants? Are they a contrary position? Are they a nuisance? Because God's word shows us that they are slaves, not yet sons and daughters, but God willing, one day will be. Do we see them like that? Do I see them like that? And a second question, and this is pretty sobering, or at least it was for me. Are we holding out a Jesus and kind of identity to non-Christians? Are we holding out something that isn't just Jesus? Not less than Jesus, but not more than Jesus. Because if we are, if we are, we are not only living a contrary gospel, we are holding out a contrary gospel. We've been bewitched. And I'll just say this, if you're here and you're not a Christian and, and your, your brand of Christianity, your understanding of Christianity is something like Jesus and that's not the gospel. It's not. And I'm, I'm sorry that you, that you might have thought it was. It's not. It's just Jesus. It is our identity as Christians that compels us to engage the world. And not just in word, but in deed, because our actions reflect our hearts. Thank you, James, study. Our actions reflect our hearts. And it can look like a lot of different things, but among other things, it can look like adoption and fostering. I mean, I'm biased, I get it. But what more beautifully models the gospel than adoption? It is not, I would say, my desire, sure, I believe it is God's desire that we be a church of adopted sons and daughters, adopting sons and daughters. I was, I was thinking of a way to conclude our time together and I thought the best way to do it would be to use somebody else's words, not mine. So I think we have a short video if you wouldn't mind putting that up. See what great love the Father has given us we should be called God's children. Here we are. First John 3 1.
It only took 27 takes. <laughs> I think of my girls, welcomed, wanted, sought out, and fought for. Think about what it looks like for them, God willing to one day place their faith in Jesus, to be welcomed as adopted daughters through Jesus by God the Father. If you're here and you're living out a Jesus or kind of identity, I'd invite you to consider coming to Jesus now. Lay down the weak and worthless things that change and aid and fade. Put them down. Come to Jesus. But if you're here and you're a Christian, let's lay down the and. Let's lay down the and. Remember the finished work of Christ. Let's run to our dad. Let's love our brothers and sisters. And let's invite others to join the family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Dad, even after being encouraged to come to you like that, it's still so hard to say it sometimes, but you are a good dad, a good and loving dad. You welcome us, you want us, you sought us out, and you fought for us at the cost of your own son. Let us be a church that lives in the power of your Holy Spirit, lives out the right kind of identity. We run to you, we love one another, and we live the kind of lives, we engage the world around us in a way that encourages others to join the family too. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done to allow us to be part of God's family. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.